This is the Healthy Mind. This is the Healthy Mind. This, this is, is the Healthy, Healthy Mind podcast. Hello and welcome. This is the Healthy Minds radio show. If you haven't heard of Healthy Minds before, we are an independent mental health charity based in Calderdale, and we're here to support anybody who lives in Calderdale with their well-being. Today, you have myself, Georgia. We have my lovely colleague, Kia. Give us a shout. Hello. And we have a very special guest, uh, Jen Fagan, who is actually a co-founder of our charity, of our organization, Healthy Minds, um, and is currently a trustee. Do you want to give us a shout, Jen? Say hello. Hello. <laughs> it's great to have you with us. Um, and today on the show, we're going to be exploring the theme of lived experience. Um, this might be an unfamiliar phrase to, to most of our listeners out there, um, but we're, we're going to explore what it means to us at Healthy Minds. Jen's going to share a little bit about her kind of her own approaches to lived experience and how we can how we can use lived experience to better improve our services and how we support people as an organisation. So welcome, Jen. First of all, can you tell us a little bit about your background with Healthy Minds and how you came about being involved in setting up the charity? That, that was me messing with the mic. <laughs> there <laughs> we go. Get you set up right. <laughs> uh, well, it all began in 2007. And the reason it began, personally for me, mm -hmm. is because... I worked in mental health as an employment advisor uh, for the council. A colleague and friend of mine worked in the trust supporting service users in an outfit called Empower. Mm -hmm. And really, that's what Tabitha was trying to do, Empower. And eventually, we gave up trying to... You can't support somebody, you know, I call myself an employment advisor, that was my job title, mm. but basically employment was a possible end of the road thing and that often we'd be looking at taking steps on that way. So it was really a lot of planning, a lot of support, a lot of trying to help people to discover more about themselves and what their talents were and what the future might be. Mm. And, and all of those people were using one mental health service or another. Mm -hmm. There were so many gaps. There were so many gaps in the services. I can't describe it any other way. What you were mostly talking about were people who were taking some medication, often strong medication that they've been taking for a long time. And that was the focus. This is 2007, but I've worked in mental health from 2000 and things hadn't changed. Things hadn't changed. Actually, to begin with, I worked in South Devon. And when I, when I moved up here, things were worse. So we, we got together and we also in, included in that process people who were using the Empower service and the individual people that I was supporting were going like, what do we need? And funnily enough, it, it began to be a centre we want a centre, and centres take a lot of money, and you need to fundraise a lot of money to actually have a building. And um, 
as really, I would say that first two years, we just discussed as much as anything. We did the other stuff, to, the legal stuff, to be a, a, become a proper charity and all the rest of it. So we did all that. But we weren't delivering a service then till 2010. But that's 13 years ago, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. I, it's, it still surprises me. There were a lot of people that were interested. We called it um, a management group. And that's what you did back back mm-hmm. then, before you had a board. There was such an enormous amount of disagreement, you know. We disagreed about services, statutory services, about what we needed in the future, about lived experience and and the value of it, about peer support and the value of that, and about what people wanted. And as those discussions develop, we realise we don't need a centre what we need is to be out there in communities. That's that's where we need to be. So that that's what we did. And we started off by getting some peer support groups going. Myself included, most of our staff have their own lived experience at the time. So it all pretty much felt like peer support. And then, I don't know, I think we'll just have to take a big leap into the future because we we grew and grew. We had a board of trustees and directors and we moved offices. Our first office was my front room. (laughs) And then we found an office in in Voluntary Action Calderdale. And then we moved to a bigger office when we needed to. This morning, I went into that bigger office and I'm told, oh, there's a whole new team starting. Mm-hmm. And actually, a team that's going to focus very much on, on peer support. So in our constitution, back in 2007, when we didn't really know what we were doing, we said something like, to improve the mental health of people in Calderdale. How about that for a name? <laughs> yeah. And, but to be fair, that's what we meant. We, we wanted people to have a chance to move on with their lives and not be, I want to say, hindered, really, uh, but I didn't say it, just sort of stopped a little bit by the fact that you're using services. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'll hear that I'm, I'm a bit critical of services, and I still am a bit critical of services, but let me just say that over the years, I've just worked with some fantastic people who work in services. The problem with secondary services is not the people who work in them, it's the bureaucracy and the tradition. And this is where lived experience can come in, is about people who are using statutory services, so that might be um, services through the NHS, and there are all sorts of different routes into the NHS, which, which... as workers at Healthy Minds, we have to grapple with understanding. But sometimes, and I'm sure, you know, we as an organisation are guilty of this as well, is when the service is set up in the best way for the service to run, but not necessarily the best way for the for the service user to access it. Yeah. Um, and that's where we have to then open it up to those lived experiences of, of using services, not just lived experiences of mental health challenges, but the experience of, looking for help, uh, accessing support, yeah. all of those things. And what is that whole journey look like? We are going to go on a little bit more to talk about 
lived experience uh, later on in the show. But I, you picked up on peer support and, and a little bit about what that means. And at the, at the beginning era of Healthy Minds, it wasn't necessarily called peer support. Historically, the peer support movement formed in a response to very poor treatment of patients. And there was kind of this movement, I was doing a little bit of research about this over the weekend, and it is absolutely fascinating. There's, there's a lot of information about what was going on in the US, mm -hmm. where former patients were kind of creating these activist groups to advocate for patient rights, um, and who were at, at times employed or involved with actually supporting kind of current patients in, in the mental health system in the US. But also those peer support groups that they formed were, were highly autonomous and, and sometimes define themselves completely separate from, from the statutory service. Today, peer support as a model is now being used and integrated into our healthcare systems. So it's not just this kind of like offshoot activisty kind of reaction response but it's it's starting to be integrated more. And I wondered if you could share a little bit about your experience of peer support as an approach to mental health and its role at Healthy Minds over the years. I'm very much in favour of the concept of peer support, even before it was labelled peer support. Funnily enough, I did a bit of my own research over the weekend <laughs> into the history of peer support. And one of the things that I realised about where things started to grow in America was partly because of the the social climate, where there was the a great yeah, yeah civil rights, a great deal of fighting for rights, mm -hmm. and also another thing that was around then was the the twelve step movement, mm -hmm. you know. And if you think about the twelve step movement, that is actually peer support. Mm -hmm. So anyone out there who hasn't heard of Al Alcoholics Anonymous, which was probably the, the first one, mm. and the idea is that you're, you're in a group and you're all in exactly the same situation. Um, you, you have a problem with alcohol, whether that's a problem with giving it up or a problem with staying off it. And people share their experiences and they support each other and they find new ways to support each other. And as as people become more confident in their recovery, uh, which is another word for it, it was sort of called the recovery movement mm. as, as well. And as you get more confident, then you can speak up more. You can help more, you can share your own experiences, you can think about the future, you can think, hey, we're doing this, we could be doing that. And in Healthy Minds. In what, Healthy Minds, you, yes. I mean, you, you've seen Healthy Minds from from start to, well, not finished, to, to current day. <laughs> uh, we're <laughs> still <quite> going. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm glad we're not but, finished. Yeah. <laughs> and that and peer support as a, as a model has been something that we've, adopted it's been there from quite early on and and as you say you mentioned earlier mm -hmm. that's something we're really trying to continue and come back to this year so how have you seen what what do you think the importance of peer support is within how healthy minds has had an impact the very first time that we tried to do something that you might call activism really 
was when art therapy and drama therapy services were withdrawn mm -hmm. from within the trust uh, for a whole host of reasons. And we knew loads of people who were very badly affected by this. And one of our members of staff who knew a great deal about it got involved. And before long, we had a group. We had a big group. Um, and in the end, we actually got art therapy services uh, reinstated. Mm. And th that Amazing. was... Yeah, yeah. And that was one of the first things that that really was peer support in the sense of there was a group of people, they were all in the same situation in that they relied a great deal on art and drama therapy and without it, they were scared mm. what was going to happen to them. But then they could sit in a room and get active. And I think as I've already mentioned that the support groups that we had eventually around the borough, maybe six or seven different support groups, we'd give them names, we'd call it the anxiety and depression group, or we'd call it them mm. living with constant pain, or we'd, we'd give it a name. But in effect, they were all very similar. Mm. They were really about sitting there in that safe place mm. and supporting each other and moving on. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't work for everybody. It works for the majority, mm. I, I really would say. Mm. Another thing around peer support and peer support groups is that they need time. People need some stability. Yeah. That that group needs to develop it, its own culture, yeah. its own focus, its own aims even. And relationships. And relationships. And, trust and, and trust. all of that. And you, you can't. You can't open up and you can't feel safe. And, and that has to grow, doesn't it? Yeah, that has to grow. Not only take that time to grow, but also there needs to be a maintenance stage. Mm -hmm. And that maintenance stage, that can be that can be two or three years. It, it can be longer um, because people need sustaining in, in their growth. That's probably one of the things that isn't understood very well in secondary services. Because, of course, they they work in a short-term way mm -hmm. and they need to see a target. So they need to be able to say, hey, I've helped this person and this person is now better than mm. where they were. Mm. No, it's stick with them. Stick with them for the whole ride, even after the ride. Mm -hmm. We're looking forward to hopefully growing more of our peer support services mm -hmm. in the future at Healthy Minds and, and kind of coming back to peer support as one of our core approaches. Uh, I think we'll go for a song now. Give Jen a little breather. Uh, this this is one of Jen's uh, requests. It's Walking Down Madison. You do have me, sorry. The <laughs> music continued to oh, play. In the studio, you've got Georgia, myself, Kia, and our lovely guest, Jen. Hello. Um, we've been talking with Jen, who was one of the original founders of Healthy Minds, a bit about Healthy Minds and the history and some of the values and practices that we use. One of those uh, values and practices is lived experience. Can you share your perspective on what lived experience means in the context of mental health? If you've got an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
lived experience in the context of mental health for me means whatever happens to you through your mental health journey is important. It's all it's all been a learning thing, a growing thing, hopefully, not for everyone. And that lived experience is pretty much undervalued yeah. by people outside of the whole mental health community mm. because they don't get it. Mm. And why why would they get it, really? Part of what, within Healthy Minds, we've wanted to do is make sure that that lived experience of either using mental health services or surviving using mental health services, we use that word a lot back in the day, mm. or managing it on your own in, in all the sorts of ways that many of us do just in our daily lives, or using your GP, quite often using medication. But all of that, all of that experience is really, really valuable. Yeah. So yeah, we want to share it amongst the mental health community and learn from it and build on it and emphasise the value in it because very often when you are using mental health services, you are not made to feel valued and respected and as though you're a part of your journey, you're like a person being told, this is what it's like for you, but we know best and so we are going to tell you how to get better. The numbers and numbers of people I've known who've had their self-confidence and their self-esteem and their ability even to, to function in the wider society because of the things that they've been told about themselves. But actually, once you get people together and you talk about lived experience, which reminds me that one of the things we said back in the day was that everyone who we were going to employ, everyone who was on our board of trustees and all our volunteers needed to have their own lived experience. They didn't need to share it with you. They just needed to say yes. And yeah. um, we have actually moved away from that now, so we don't actually say that. And I think that's really a consequence of the way mental health itself has moved on in the wider society. I used to do a lot of training with um, businesses and employers, trying to get across what it's like. One of the best things I ever did, this is not really true, but it was funny, was I was training a group of probation officers and we were in this strange, dumpy building and we were talking about um, schizophrenia and hearing voices and there was um, a, an intercom system and a voice came out over this intercom system saying something or other and we all just felt this guy said oh my god I'm hearing voices <laughs> <laughs> and we all just fell about laughing but that was so important mm. because you know if you can't laugh mm. and you can't you're afraid to contribute sometimes because you don't know the right words. Mm, yeah. You need to make it a safe place so that everybody can feel free to say, this has happened to me, or I don't agree with that, or I didn't even know about that. Yeah. It has to be an extremely safe place. And that was one of the reasons for saying 
everybody needs to have some lived experience. Thank you. I mean, it's personally, that's something that I really liked about Healthy Minds. I started at Healthy Minds as a volunteer and I would go into primary and secondary schools and share my lived experience. So I like it as a value and it's something that I've practiced and seen the power of firsthand. Mm. Um, and we know, as, as I just said, that involving those with lived experience in the design and delivery of services has better outcomes for patients and for service users. How do you think that we can better listen to people with lived experience and create the environment for ongoing relationships where people feel motivated to do co-production of services? Mm. Good question. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Take the word motivation because that's just a really, really important thing. We, we all need motivated, don't we, to, to set a goal and to try and achieve that goal and to get on with something. And one of the best ways to be motivated is to be doing that stuff with other people mm. so that you begin to feel that you're part of a team. How I see it is being part of a tribe. Yeah, a collective yeah, because that's what happens in mental health. You become part of the mental health tribe. So shared goals then. Yeah. But the, the other thing about those shared goals is you have to achieve them. Nothing is, is as great a motivator as feeling that you've got where you wanted to go, mm. however, however small that is. Mm. So sometimes it's just actually being present in that group of people and being able to share your experience or... Sometimes it's about saying, yeah, and what about this? A great big issue within mental health services at one point was around restraints. Yeah. Lots of people were very badly affected by restraints mm -hmm. uh, that was done in a needlessly violent way or in a non-communicative way or when it wasn't even required. And so at one point that became a focus and I actually remember that we sort of made a difference with that because um, the trust uh, listened to some of our people and what they were saying about restraint and how badly they were affected. And it did feel as though, and it got incorporated into the future training of staff. And I'm not sure that over time it didn't maybe get lost again. But that's, that's, part, of, that's part of the journey. So that was quite a big goal, really. But any sort of small goal that you actually achieve and you can say and you can look at each other and you can go, we did this, we, we did this. And that is what motivates you to keep on coming to maybe a group, maybe an organisation like Healthy Minds where we say, yeah, we, we want to listen to you. We, we know we need to listen to you because we don't know best. And that's what always been one of the big things about Healthy Minds is we don't know best professionals, even though we secretly think we are. But <laughs> we're, we're, we're prof we're prof I think you've mentioned this before to me where yeah. um, actually we, we are professionals and we've got, that we've got skills and experience mm. and people with lived experience have got skills and experience to bring to the delivery of services, the design of services, but it's maybe a different kind of, of professional to the <laughs> to other to other kind of yeah. spaces. And and you, yeah. you talked there about motivation and, and this feeling of having achieved something as a collective. 
and and that is great. I guess what I want to know more about is how do organisations, both in the voluntary sector, like we are, mm-hmm. and in the statutory world, create a better, are better at doing it on our side. We, we need to be better at listening. Mm-hmm. We need to be better at making it something that people want to be involved in because they believe it will be listened to, yeah. that they believe that that it's worthwhile because why would you why would you bother if you don't think anything's actually gonna yeah. be done about it? And I think from Healthy Minds point of view is we have to exercise that muscle and, and keep considering is the way that we're listening to people. Time. That's such a very important thing. Yeah. We we need to give people the time. Yeah. And um, it it is sometimes difficult to remove this like professional bit in your head where you'll be listening to what somebody's saying and you maybe lose a little bit of empathy because, oh, guess what? You're the worker. Yeah, there, there yeah. can be a detachment, can't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you said, Georgia, exercise that muscle. Sometimes it needs the removal of, of jargon. It, yes. it needs the, the reduction in like that sort of professional language. It creates a, a barrier for those who are using the services and want to understand their healthcare and the decisions made around them. Mm-hmm. It creates a barrier between knowledge that is held by a professional and knowledge that is held by the, p- the patient. Mm-hmm. And that barrier mm-hmm. should be devo- dissolved to create, you know, uh, better levels of healthcare and better informed yeah. uh, choices by the person who needs the support. Yeah, you've said it to me before. Yeah. It's this them and us yeah. ideology, which I, I'd really like to continue exploring. But we've got some other questions. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give you one more question and then we'll have another song. Um, okay. So I think this follows on. How has mental health activism, advocacy given you a sense of purpose? How has that process of being involved in achieving something, standing up, having a say, supported your own well-being your own mental health well it has definitely Mm. um in one way because healthy minds became my tribe yeah yeah we we had our our customs and our traditions and all the rest of it and healthy minds became my tribe at one time i was the leader of that of that tribe i'm not anymore (laughs) Um, I quite like that. You're a different kind of leader. <laughs> a different kind of leader then, yeah. And then we t- talked about achieving goals. Well, what we achieved in growing healthy minds was absolutely amazing For from like three women with full-time jobs to what we are now with, I don't know, around 40 staff and probably the same number of volunteers so that's an achievement in in itself so all the time I was doing that work I still am doing that work not retired yet (laughs) you learn you you just keep learning you you learn from other people how they keep themselves well I've had depression quite serious depression probably for the last 20 years I, I manage it in in different ways, mostly by walking up hills mm-hmm. and down them. <laughs> um, 
So I, I learnt some ways for me to help myself, gave up the Prozac, and I, I think probably that people learnt from me too. And I, probably Healthy Minds became such an enormous part of my life. Mm. Talk about lived experience. It, it really was my experience. It's really nice to connect back to the roots of this this thing that we're part of. This tribe. And this tribe. Because we are we, part we know of what the to tribe. Call. <laughs> we are. Yeah. Um, we'll have another song now. I feel like that's all been about standing up mm. for yourself. And But this song is called Sit Down. <laughs> so <laughs> I think the opposite. Um, this is another one of Jen's requests. Uh, Healthy Minds radio show. Uh, myself, Georgia, we've got Kia in the studio and our lovely special guest, Jen Fagan, who is a co-founder and trustee of Healthy Minds. Um, and we've just spent the best part of an hour listening to Jen and all of her wisdom and insights, both about Healthy Minds, our own organisation, which is a, your local mental health charity, um, and also some of her personal experiences too. Uh, so thank you so much, Jen. We've got one more question for you from Kia, and uh, then we'll be wrapping up. So this week is actually Volunteers Week, and at Healthy Minds, we're doing some celebrations about our volunteers and all the amazing work they do. And Jen, you're a trustee of Healthy Minds, which is a voluntary position. What does volunteering give you, and what would you say to encourage others to volunteer? Being a volunteer gives you so much freedom to do as much as you can do about something that you actually care about. Mm. So, and I've been a volunteer at Healthy Minds then since 2007. That's a long time, isn't it? And I love it. Yeah. I, I love it. And, and I, as I said to you before, I became part of the Healthy Minds tribe and I'm still a part of that Healthy Minds tribe. And we know what we've achieved over the years by virtue of volunteering. So nowadays we have maybe 40 or so volunteers. They contribute so much. They, some people do, I don't know, maybe what might seem like big things and some people do what maybe might seem like smaller things. And the contribution that they make is just amazing. Mm. If you become a volunteer, particularly if you become a volunteer in something that you care about, yeah, like healthy minds, try caring about healthy minds. That's a good thing to do. Just give it a go. <laughs> Just go on. Just try caring about healthy ones. I love it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not here to sell it. <laughs> you, it, it, you learn. Yeah. When I was a mental health employment advisor, I used to support people to volunteer very often. It was often the first step on a journey into somewhere, who, wherever. And the important thing was to know what you want about being a volunteer. Because we don't all want to just get involved. Some of us want to 
learn stuff. Most of us want to learn stuff. Some of us want to start a new career. Some of us want to get paid work. It's important to know that motivation and then to become a volunteer in the right place for you. Well, thank you so much, Jen, for for joining us on our Healthy Minds radio show. If you want to find out more about our charity, uh, you can visit us online, www.healthymindscalderdale.co.uk. And there's loads of information on our website uh, about what we do, what we've got going on. Uh, Jen, we're we're leaving with with your last request a fitting song for the end of our show. This is Closing Time by And we're dancing and the band is really happening and the Johnny Walker wisdom runs.